You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. Today's episode with Chloe Safiri is a really special one. Chloe and her husband, Adam, have experienced what no parent ever wants to or should have to experience. After unexpectedly contracting a mysterious illness around 20 weeks into pregnancy, Chloe ended up being hospitalized and they tragically lost their firstborn daughter, Adeline. In healing, they created a nonprofit, the Adeline Rose Foundation, to support families following loss and provide a space for them to honor and celebrate their babies for years to come. Beyond sharing their own story, Chloe gives specific tips on finding support and community, coping skills to cultivate, as well as tips for helping others like friends or family members who may be experiencing loss of their own. While today's episode is more sensitive, we encourage you to listen if you're feeling up for it as Chloe and her work strive to help you heal and yes, even thrive after the most impossible pain to find hope and happiness once again. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now welcome Chloe. Hi everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we're having this conversation today. I mean, we're talking about we were talking before about how so many people can say, okay, losing a child is unimaginable. We know this, but statistically speaking, they say one in four, 25% of women experience it through pregnancy or infant loss. And personally, we were like, dude, it feels like, I don't know, 75%. It feels like so much more, so many more women experience Mm -hmm. this because so many of us know someone personally who has gone, gone through it or know someone who knows someone who's gone through it. So it's this unimaginable thing. And yet it is so, so common and not often talked about in a really open way for women. So we felt like this was a really important conversation to bring to thrive because thriving after something that is an unimaginable loss or a terrible tragedy can feel totally impossible. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, surviving it might feel totally impossible. So Chloe, first off, thank you for being here and for reaching out and being willing to share your own story in the hopes of really just helping other women know that they're not alone and to see hope and purpose again through the pain. Mm, Absolutely. Um, Thank you for having me. And again, thank you for allowing this to be a, you know, episode because, um, so many of the families that we speak through, um, my husband and I, uh, run a nonprofit in honor of our daughter, um, the Adeline Rose foundation. And so many of the families that we speak to the first question, uh, you know, after those first few days that they'll, they'll often email or, or ask me over the phone is just like, when will I be able to like live again? And when will I be able to, um, feel happy again. And so the thought of even thriving for so many of us directly following loss is unimaginable because we just like even want to be, you know, able to get out of bed and be able to like brush our teeth and get a shower and, you know, eventually smile. 
Um, I think it's important. Um, and it was definitely important on my, you know, journey after loss and life after loss, um, seeing that other people who had experienced something similar were happy, were able to, you never move on following your loss, but being able to move forward. Um, so again, thank you for having this and hopefully, um, you know, if anything, some, someone somewhere who has experienced the loss of a baby, um, might get a little bit of hope or just some comfort, even, um, if they listen to this episode. Absolutely. So fair warning to all, I couldn't get through reading your story on the foundation's website without crying. So (laughs) this might be emotional for some folks, but can we start with your story of everything that your family went through in 2017? Thank you for asking about Addie, because it feels like, um, so long ago, but also like yesterday, (laughs) but because it was four years ago, I feel like we don't talk about her and her story as much. Um, so it really, I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about her a little bit too. Um, so Adeline was our first pregnancy. Um, we were ecstatic. We were a year into our marriage and, um, she was sort of a surprise, I guess we weren't really trying. Um, but we were so happy when we found out that she was, going to be joining our family. Um, We lived in a small condo at the time towards Philly, and we had decided that we were going to move home to our hometown where we grew up, um, Reading, Pennsylvania, because I have two sisters and a brother and our parents and Adam's sister. um, And so we knew we would have a, a good support system there. And um, we wanted to, to buy a little bit of a larger home and kind of, settle down, I guess. So, um, like 10 weeks after we found out we were pregnant with her, we bought our house and, um, and we're really, really excited. We had a beautiful gender reveal party for her and we found out we were having a little girl, obviously. Um, and Adam says it all the time. He was like, I just never thought that I could be like a good girl dad. Like I just, you know, he was athletic in high school, played sports, just like a guy's guy. And, but he said like the moment we found out what we were having a girl, he was just like, I mean, he is very (laughs) emotional and very, um, he, whenever he talks about it, he gets very emotional. He was just really, really happy to have a baby girl. And, you know, automatically when, from the minute you see that positive pregnancy test, your mind is like, oh my gosh, like to everything you jump all over to, you know, preschool and first days of school and weddings. And like, you just imagine you have all these hopes and dreams for, for your child. And then you find out they're a baby girl. And, um, we were just so excited and, um, our whole family was so excited. And so we, um, like I had said, we purchased a home and we were getting ready to move and, um, settle on that and just plugging away. My pregnancy was super healthy. And, um, one, one Saturday I started feeling sick. I went on a little like hike, um, 5k walk with my best friends. And I got home that night and just did not feel myself. And, um, 
didn't know what was going on, but just kind of was like, all right, I mean, maybe it's just a little bug, but it continued. And, um, I had really bad fevers. Then I, so I went to the doctor, my, just like a, my general, um, family doctor. And she was like, I don't know what is going on. Um, you know, but maybe we should do some blood work or, but she wasn't like, sure. She really was kind of stumped. And so she sent me home and I was going to do blood work, um, that the next day. And that night my fevers just spiked. I mean, I was shivering. I had chills. I was vomiting. It was just not good. And I remember Adam saying like, yeah, we're going to the ER, Chloe. Like this is not okay. You're like, and typically I'm a pretty strong, you know, you know, we can, I can make it through any sickness and I'm fine. And, you know, keep on, you know, plugging along, but this was different. It really took me out. And so we went to the hospital and, um, they were, they were concerned because they really didn't, nothing was coming up too crazy. Like they weren't getting too much information, um, from the testing, but they did see my, my white blood cell count, um, I believe was a little off and, and because I was pregnant, they were concerned. So they decided to keep me and admit me to the hospital, which was pretty um, terrifying, you know, in itself, because you just have this, you know, I was pregnant. My baby girl was, I mean, nothing should be wrong. I shouldn't be here. Um, and, but still, uh, it was my first pregnancy. I, I was younger. I was one of the first friend, my first friends who was pregnant. Um, and so I didn't even honestly think that it was a possibility that Adeline would not survive this. Um, it really, I, I, it was a very, um, naive mindset, one that I wish I was still in, (laughs) um, and still had. Um, but I really thought, you know, everything would be okay. Um, so, we were admitted to the hospital and Adam was with me. Um, and this was, you know, pre COVID and everything. So there was like no restrictions. So, um, I had family visit and, um, there, there really wasn't too much information that first day they were doing a lot of testing, but I was still getting really bad fevers. Um, and I remember there was a doctor who came in and he was the sweetest. We actually still talk today. Um, but I remember saying to him, is there any way that this could be listeria? Um, Listeria was something which is odd, but it was something that I had been concerned about my whole pregnancy. Um, Some people during pregnancy feel like, you know, they joke like, you know, I'm going to eat the lunch meat. Like it's fine. I was the total opposite. I did not eat. I could, I was like terrified of it. It was so bizarre, but I could not eat. I did not eat anything that you were not supposed to eat. Um, I was super careful. My family made fun of me for being so careful, but you know, I wouldn't even eat like Caesar dressing out of a Caesar salad kit. I don't know. There were just certain things. If I ever read it, I wouldn't eat it. So it had just been on my mind. And and he said, well, no, I mean, have you, you know, ate any raw cheese or, and I'm like, no, like, he's like, then no, you know, I don't think that would be it. That's super rare. Like that doesn't happen to people. Um, And he didn't say those words exactly, but that was, he was like, no, that's super, super rare. What, what they had kind of thought was it might've been like a tick bite or, or something. I mean, I was tested for everything. 
Um, so we made it, you know, two days in the hospital and, and Adeline still hadn't been checked. And, you know, my mama bear instinct was coming out and I just was like, I, I just want to hear my daughter's heartbeat, like make sure everything had gone, was going okay with her. She had been checked when we, um, had first been admitted into the hospital, but hadn't been since then. And I just wanted to hear her heartbeat. And I remember getting some pushback from the doctors and nurses just saying, well, you know, you know, we're not, we're not really planning on checking her. And I said, no, like, I want to hear a heartbeat. Went in and and they got the um, fetal document, but there's no, there's no heartbeat for your baby. Um, That was definitely the hardest moment. um, One of the hardest moments of my life. they came in with the Doppler and they couldn't find the heartbeat. And then they brought um, ultrasound in and, and even her probably than not hearing her heartbeat was just seeing, you know, a, a still baby on the ultrasound machine. That, that is something that um, Adam and I both talk about a lot, just kind of um, is ingrained into your brain, just seeing the baby who the last time you saw on the ultrasound machine was kicking and moving and, you know, a little jumping being just seeing her still there, um, not moving, heart beating. Um, it was really, really hard. Um, I remember screaming and crying and Adam just shocked and his face just, uh, just, he didn't, he didn't know what to say. And I just kept looking at him and saying like, this isn't real. And, um, and so after a few minutes of that, I don't know, honestly, how much time went on. It could have been like two minutes. It could have been a half hour. I really don't remember. You're kind of like blacked out at that point. Um, but I remember the doctor, um, saying to me, all right, so we are going to have to figure out how, you know, you would like to proceed. Um, you know, you are too far along um, to do anything other than, you know, deliver her, vaginally deliver her. Um, and I just remember thinking like, how? Like, uh, I, I still hadn't even, you know, I was right around 20 weeks. So I never had, you know, delivered a baby before. I really hadn't even prepared for childbirth and birthing a, a living child let alone giving birth to a child that wasn't alive. And um, it was truly the most gut-wrenching thing. And I remember just begging him, like, is there any other way? Like, I, I, I don't know. And, um, and eventually I just kind of settled down and he said, well, listen, we can't do anything right now. You are way too sick. It's not safe. Um, you know, if we can't, you, we have to wait, um, because you're just way too sick to deliver a baby. So, you know, get some rest tonight, sleep. I remember they gave me like a bunch of Benadryl so I could try to sleep. Um, and Adam that night pushed his, his hospital couch up to my hospital bed and we made like a big bed and we just laid together and cried and, um, just literally held each other, um, sobbing and, and eventually fell asleep. Um, but I was then woken up to what I know now were 
really intense contractions. Um, my, my body decided to, it, it was going into labor, labor naturally. Um, and it, that was probably the most traumatic part, um, was just not getting woken up out of sleep and just, you know, starting to deliver and, and go into this place where I was just not mentally prepared for, um, it just happened really, really fast. And it was, I hadn't even processed that conversation and, and everything the night before. So it was really hard. It was really, really hard um, and scary. And I was so sick and it wasn't safe, but my body, you know, was, was ready, I guess. And, um, and so we delivered our baby girl. Um, it was around four in the morning. And I remember, and I talked to a lot of other moms in a similar situation who have the same feeling. I remember, you know, asking the nurse, like, are you sure she doesn't have a heartbeat? Like the minute she came out, like I just needed that reassurance. And I remember the nurse saying, no, sweetheart, like she, she passed away and, um, just sobbing and, um, just, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. Um, but we held her for, she was with us for probably two or three hours. Um, we had photos taken with her. I remember we didn't want those. I remember the nurse saying, do you want, you know, pictures? And I was like, what? Like pictures like that. It felt so morbid at the time. And again, you know, I never knew anyone who had a stillborn or or had gone through anything like this. And I remember the nurse saying to me, listen, honey, like that's, it is okay if you never look at them again in your life, but I want to encourage you to have them done. You can keep them away on the, you know, it was on a USB drive. You can just keep them and never look at them. But I want to know that you have them if you ever do. And so I said, okay. So I remember them, you know, we were holding her and them taking pictures. And I remember being like, like, I can't smile. Like, what do you do? And so I just held her and looked at her and cried, I think still. Um, but really just, just followed what that nurse had said and tried to savor the moments, the only moments we ever had and ever will have with our, our first baby girl. Um, and, and now I am so grateful that we have those photos and the moment I didn't know if I wanted them. Um, but I'm so grateful we have those photos. Um, so we spent some time with her and, um, then we had said, okay, you know, they, they were ready to take her away and they had tried, you know, we had figured out what we wanted to do as far as, you know, burial or cremation and, and memorial service. And again, such a difficult and just like to wrap your head around it. Like you're, when you're, you find out you're pregnant, you're planning on, you know, planning for your nursery and like, you know, childcare and like, you know, what are we going to do? You're not, you never expect to plan a funeral. Like it's just not even on your radar. So um, I remember a social worker really helping us with that, um, but we decided to have her cremated um, and, you know, just to bring her home with us. Um, 
but that's really um, kind of where I guess the the foundation started kind of coming into our mind, you know, long before it was even formed. Um, that night after um, Addie was born, we were still in the hospital because again, I was still sick um, and had found out that um, I did have listeria, which was in the beginning of our conversation, that gut um, instinct I had, um, we still have no idea where it got from. They think probably from a restaurant or somewhere just with cross-contaminated food. Um, since I hadn't, I had been so diligent about what I was eating. Um, it was probably just one of those really crazy, um, super rare and like unheard of things. And, um, I remember the doctor saying like, I don't know, it was like one in a million chance or something like that. Um, and it sucks when you're that one in a million. Um, I'm happy that not everyone, you know, not as many people have to go through that, but, um, it's weird that like mother instinct that you have that like gut instinct that I, it had been that voice in my head since we got in the hospital. Um, so we had found out that it was listeria and, you know, I got on the right antibiotics and started feeling so much better. Um, and it was time to pick up our daughter. Um, and I remember I was still so sick. I wasn't able to go, but Adam's, um, sister went with him and she, she said to him, like at the funeral home, he went to pay for the funeral or for the, for the urn. And, and she looked at him and said, no, 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 no. Like, you're not paying for this. Like, and he's like, no, Laura, I I'm going to pay. Like I, I, we're fine. You know? And she said, no, like no one should ever have to do this, let alone pay for it. Like, you know, the bill, it was, I think like three or $400 and, um, he paid for all of that. And that night we were still in the hospital and he came home and, or he came back what felt like home at that point. We were there for a while. Um, and just said, you know, his sister had paid and, and we started talking and we're like, you know what, no one should ever have to do this. Like no one should ever have to bury or cremate their child, let alone, you know, then go pay for it. And, so that's kind of where our grief started turning into um, something now that I'm so, so proud of and, and something so beautiful. And the Adeline and Rose Foundation was sort of born that day, um, the day our, our daughter died. Um, this idea kind of was born and um, something really positive from, from her. But that's kind of the story, you know, of Addie and, um, I'll never forget those moments we had with her. I encourage families all the time, um, you know, in those first, that first day, if, if you have time with the baby to take the pictures and to, to do things. And it's important that they hear that it's okay, because I remember feeling like, is this weird that I'm doing this? Like, is it, you know, too morbid, but um, it's your baby and it's the, you know, unfortunately the only chance that you have with them. So, um, nothing is weird. <laughs> nothing is weird. People read to their babies. They, um, you know, spend time with their baby because like I had said, you know, those memories are, are ones that you'll have forever. Um, and unfortunately they're, they're the only ones we have, but they're important and it's important to feel okay doing that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of her story. I'm sorry. I know it's kind of long, but um... oh my God, don't ever apologize for that. It's, it's, 
you have such strength too in telling all of it. And I can empathize with you at least in, in this, the knowing of getting that diagnosis of something Uh that is so rare. And when you're going through, obviously our story was different and Liv is here, thank God. But the going through the completely unexpected turn of events in a hospital, just, Uh I think you just start blacking out as soon as the first diagnosis comes in and then it's, you're, you're just in a fog until something happens. So I can't imagine the pain that you were going through, through all of that. And I feel like it's just to have to go through the loss in utero is one thing, but then to have to also endure labor and a stillbirth just feels so grossly, horribly unfair. What, what were you thinking going through that? What got you through? Were you, were you just blacked out kind of in a phase the whole time? Or did you, do you remember having any sort of conscious thought that, that helped get you through what I can't even imagine going through? You know, it honestly was like, there's no choice. (laughs) I like, you're literally just there. And it's like, there's, there was no, no choice in any of it. And I know this sounds sort of corny, but like, I loved my daughter from the minute we found out she was conceived from the minute that I saw that positive pregnancy test. So, you know, all of that pain it was horrible, but I also like knew I had a duty as her mother to get her, uh, it's emotional, but to get here, her, you know, deliver her. And like I had said it, you know, it happened so fast. And I went into it. I mean, I think my total labor was like probably two hours. Um, and you know, thankfully we were at the hospital, um, but we were on a general floor, um, you know, before she was born. Um, but they, I remember just going into labor on the general floor and just like, they rushed me then, you know, once they could get staff, they rushed me up to the, to the labor and delivery floor. But I remember being on the elevator and just screaming and, um, just being in so much pain. I mean, there was no time for an epidural or anything. And, um, and it's, it's interesting because I remember, having this brief moment of just like, like as upset and horrible as it is, I just was so excited to see her and hold her um, and just, you know, see what she looked like and, and meet her. And um, so that would, I, I think it's like the only thing there is no, like, this isn't one of those places where there's like, I have a tip for you, you know, it's just like, it's just like you find strength somewhere. And, um, you know, I pray that every mother has a partner who is as wonderful as my husband, because, um, he was there the entire time and just so present and just so wonderful and encouraging and supportive and, um, you know, just amazing. And so he was a huge help of that, but yeah, I, I, there's, there's not much I can like really remember as far as my thoughts. It was more just like, I need to get her here. And, um, this is my duty as her mom. And, um, I had already felt like I had failed her, which I've done a lot of work on, um, you know, with therapy and just, you know, self, just a lot of healing, but, um, I just knew that I needed to, to do it. And, uh, there really wasn't a choice. It was happening so fast. And, um, 
as horrible as it all was, I still do feel like um, grateful that I didn't have to make any decisions. Like we didn't have to be in due, like it just happened and it was quick and it was very painful emotionally and physically, but um, it happened the way it needed to happen um, as far as getting her here, you know, okay, me being safe and, you know, and have us have, being able to have time with her. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the saying, the thing I've just thought of is, you know, the saying that you find out how strong you are and being strong is the only choice you have. Mm. And that's, mm. I mean, I feel like that's, that is this, because if you're going through something like that, I think you just, you just kick in and you just, you get mm-hmm. through it. And there's not yeah. some sort of magical tip or trick or mm. Pinterest quote or word of right. wisdom that's going to get you through. Right. It's just, you're going to somehow someday be on the other side and be like, wow, yeah. look what I got through. And yeah. you just, you get through it. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, like literally you have no option and um, yeah, you get, you do, you find some strength and it is when you look back and you're like, excuse my language, but like, holy crap. I, how did I do that? Like how, and, and you'll never really, I don't think really know. It's just, um, a part of, it becomes a part of you and your story and, um, has certainly impacted me for the rest of my life. Even though you knew at the time and still know that losing Addie was not at all your fault. I know Mm. you still had some feelings of guilt over her death. Mm. And you said, you know, you carried, you carry that that sense of responsibility. And I had from talking to girlfriends who've had miscarriages or really any sort of complication that impacted the baby. I mean, even ours with a premature birth, I still, I didn't even realize I had any guilt over it until therapy years later, where my therapist was like, Hmm, you are holding yourself responsible for something. That's not your responsibility. Uh It's really freaking hard. And our emotions, something that my therapist had shared was that, (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Therapy all the way. But that it's, What's so hard is that logically and intellectually, you can know something to be true. You can know, okay, this was not my fault. I did not do this. This was completely out of my control, but emotionally or subconsciously, you can still be holding on to this and carry that for mm-hmm. years if it's not worked through and healed. So is that something that you feel like you still struggle with or what has helped you most in going through that journey of really, truly allowing yourself to not be held responsible for something that was not your fault. That's also true. And you know what, Erica, it like this, there's a moment. And I feel like in these um, significant and tragic moments of your life, you have these things that you, these moments that you won't forget. Like we said, a lot of times you black out, but there are these moments that are almost just like ingrained and one of those moments for me was when we, uh, when the doctor came in, our, our infectious disease doctor, who I still love to this day, he came in um, sobbing and I had never seen a doctor like that, like crying. And he said, so the blood work, you know, and tests came back and it was listeria and he was just sobbing. And I, I don't know, you know, I know we had connected with him and he was a great doctor, but, um, I don't really remember anything after that because I remember the room was actually at the time filled with my family and Adam. And I remember looking at Adam and screaming and saying like, I did this, like, like this is my fault. I remember like screaming it and sobbing and Adam 
grabbed my face and he like looked at me and he said, I don't ever want you to say that again. He, he just like held me. He's like, this is not your fault, Chloe. Like this is not your fault. And I just remember thinking like, I must have done something like, you know, I must have ate something or, or didn't wash something correctly or, you know, something that I did this. And, um, he just, he stopped. Like, I remember he cleared the entire room out. He like asked everyone to leave at that time. And he just looked at me and, and it was a moment I'll never forget. And that provided me with a lot of healing because if he could, um, not blame me, that was a a piece because, you know, I mean, what an amazing, I mean, I, I think that I would do the same thing in his position, but it made me feel even better knowing that my, my husband and Adeline's dad didn't even think that, you know, he, he didn't blame me at all for it. So it, it helped me a little bit. Um, and then just a lot, yeah, starting therapy and, and support groups and just knowing, like, just knowing, like I, being realistic too, just being like, I, I know I never would have, like, I didn't do anything on purpose or to, to cause this and just really kind of working that out in my brain over time and time. It's so corny, but time is such, um, it does a lot. It helps you, you heal and it helps you work through those things. And, um, it definitely helped me, but, but him saying those words that this is not your fault and just being so he meant that like he had no, it wasn't just him trying to be nice to me. It was him being like, Chloe, like, don't ever say that again. This is not your fault. It really released me of a lot of guilt. Yeah. How do you think moms can move forward after loss without feeling guilty about moving forward and feeling Mm. happiness again and, and trying to live your life instead of waiting for something to feel different, if that makes sense, really proactively approaching Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. future, but without feeling guilt for proactively looking at the future. Those first moments that you feel happy after um, your loss is like, you feel guilty, you feel, and and I feel like that's something, you know, I'll, I'll say this time and time again, everyone's journey is different. Everyone feels differently about things. That's something that I've heard over and over again from moms is just that those first moments of happiness following your loss are just almost like a stab to your like heart and you're like, it feels so wrong to be happy. Um, and it feels so wrong to laugh and it feels like you, it's just the sense of guilt. And, um, so, so I would say first be um, easy on yourself, give yourself grace. And, um, and the thing that I usually will go back to, cause I still, even four years later, find myself like catch myself feeling guilty, you know, um, for being happy and for, you know, savoring these moments with my, my living children. Um, but I'll think like, I know my daughter, I know, even though she never took a breath here on earth, like I know her soul. She was in my body. I created her. I know her. And I know that I, she doesn't want me to to feel guilty for being happy and living a full life. Um, 
I know that in my soul. I wouldn't be doing her justice. I wouldn't be doing her memory justice if I um, didn't live my life and and didn't laugh and didn't have those joyous, happy moments that make a full, beautiful life um, because of her death. Um, I, I wouldn't be doing her name and her justice and I wouldn't be honoring her the way that I believe that she deserves to be honored if I didn't. So if you're struggling with those things, um, sometimes reframing your mindset around that um, is just a little bit helpful. Um, it helps me at least know that it's okay to be happy. Um, I'm a really generally happy person and um, and I, I, I believe that she would want that for me. Um, I truly do. Yeah. What can you tell us about kind of what your healing journey looked like time-wise? Mm-hmm. Because I know we were talking before we hit record about how often women will reach out to you and say, okay, but when will it start to hurt less? Or when will something be different? Right. When, when, when? And that's like, you think in terms of those time frames from the moment you find out you're first pregnant. So what did your yeah. healing, what did that time frame of your healing journey sort of look like for you? Yeah. So the first year, again, because just fill all these milestones, you know, all of the first, all of the moments, um, the first holidays, the first birthdays hard. Um, if you had an earlier loss, um, earlier, you know, some women unfortunately lose their baby, like right around their due date. But if you have a loss that was earlier, then that due date approaches and the date that, you know, the time where I should be getting ready to go to the hospital to, to deliver her for us. Um, she was due February. So we had delivered her in September. So February was really, really hard, um, knowing what we should have been doing. Um, and so I would say that first year now, I'm going to be honest though. We did have happy moments. Um, we, we certainly did. I mean, I remember that next week laughing with, with a coworker and, and still dealing with that guilt, but being like, okay, like I had one day where I smiled. I had one day where I laughed, you know, in that first month. Um, but the first year is a roller coaster and there's going to be, um, a lot of ups and downs. And, um, that was a, a hard time for, for my grief. Um, three months after we lost Adeline, we did find out we were pregnant with our rainbow baby. And so this is another thing. This is something where it is very different for every, every family. Um, and I, I know he provided me so much healing, but it was also so much anxiety. Um, pregnancy after loss is terrifying. Um, and, and, navigating that it's just a whole different ball game um once you're open to all of the possibilities and everything you know you're you're not that ignorant person anymore you're you know you know that just because you have a positive pregnancy test does not mean you're going to have a living baby on the other side and it's a really hard pill to swallow um but he he made it here earthside safely and he had he brought us so much joy in that first year he was born September 1st Um, so we actually had him pretty much like a year after we lost Adeline at the same hospital. Um, and so that was a big part of my healing journey. Um, 
And, you know, I'm still grateful him and I have such a special bond. And I, I really do think a lot of that is because, you know, he brought so much healing to us. Um, but the first year, you know, I think regardless, it's just hard. Um, and, and everyone's story is so different. He provided me so much, so much healing, but I know that other people find healing in, in other things in, it might be the work that they're doing or nieces and nephews, or, you know, there's different, different outlets. Therapy is a great, a great thing. And, and I should have gotten in therapy way sooner than I did. Um, but just as far as a timeline, um, it's so different for everyone. But that first year, I think across the board is kind of filled, you know, with ups and downs. Um, but things, it, it's hard. Things do get easier. And it's hard, it's hard to even imagine that, I guess. But um, being, I guess, on the other side, I don't know if that's even a term I love, but like, being on the, you know, being four years into our grief journey, um, like I absolutely smile more than I cry. I can tell Adeline's story without sobbing, which I never would have been able to do that first year. Um, so, so time, time allows you to heal, but I think there are definitely, you know, some things that you can have in place to help you, um, that first year and following, um, one would just be to make sure you have, um, a good, and I, I don't even like saying support system because system support system makes me feel like, oh, you have to have all of these people in place and things. And I find a lot of women are like, I don't even have one person to talk to. So then when you hear the word support system, you feel overwhelmed. Like, wait, I don't even have one person to talk to, you know, how am I supposed to have the support system? Like, just try to try to have one person, whether it's a therapist or your husband, wife, your best friend, whoever, um, you know, to, to feel comfortable talking with, um, and crying with and being open with. So you're not suppressing everything alone. If you have more than, you know, one person, that's wonderful. Like the more, the merrier that you, you know, if you have a good solid group of people you can lean on, that's wonderful, but just have, have a support, um, something and someone that you can really kind of talk to, um, yeah. can be so helpful. Um, and then community, you know, kind of goes along with support system, Instagram. It's, it's crazy. I've, you know, social media can be so hard with some things, but loss and, and pregnancy loss is somewhere something that I have been so appreciative to have social media and Instagram and Facebook for because in something that's so isolating and you can feel so lonely because people aren't talking about it, you know, in person and, you know, you might not even know, you know, someone who you have to talk to, you know, close to you you can go on Instagram and you can, you know, search a hashtag pregnancy after loss. And there's thousands of posts and, and things to read. And, you know, I found a lot of comfort connecting with people, um, on social media who have, who have walked the same, you know, difficult journey of pregnancy and, and life after loss. Um, and then obviously this is more of a general, just like tip for anyone going through any sort of loss, um, but just having good coping skills um, there, it's so easy to kind of bury yourself and, um, and not 
not kind of work through your pain and your trauma and your grief. And I did that for a long time. Um, but it's so much more freeing and allows you, um, space to be happy and to live, you know, kind of go towards that thriving life when you're unpacking the things that are really heavy and really hurting you. Um, so developing those good coping skills and going to therapy and going to support groups and doing the work, um, has been really, really helpful on my journey and has allowed me, I feel like to, um, you know, be where I am today at this point. Um, I still have a lot of work to do, but, um, it's definitely allowed me a lot of healing. And then the yeah. final thing I would say more specific, just for people who have lost a baby is creating a space and time to be able to honor and remember your baby. Um, a lot of the work that we do at the Adela Merz Foundation is providing that space for people um, that, you know, our, our big phrase and kind of motto is baby silent, honor them loudly. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to, but we want people to feel comfortable saying their baby's names and talking about their baby um, and doing things for their baby. We just recently hosted um, an empty stroller 5k and where people were welcome to come and, you know, decorate a, an empty stroller um, in honor of their baby and celebrate their baby. And we had music and dancing and it was like a fun day to celebrate, but having that space to do something where you're, you feel like you can still talk about them and that they're not just in your past, but they're always going to be a part of you and your life and your family. Um, we had grandmothers um, had t-shirts with their grandson's names on it or their, their grandson's name on it and aunts and uncles and friends and people who came out to walk um, in honor of these babies. And um, so I feel like creating that space and, and participating in those opportunities have allowed me to heal a lot. And I think that it, it can be helpful for a lot of families because you're not just suffering by yourself in silence. Um, you're, you're connecting with other people who have experienced something similar. And you're saying like, my baby matters. Like my, my child, they will always be my child. She will always, Adeline will always be a part of our family just as our, our living children are. Um, but definitely creating and having a space to still parent your baby um, even after they're gone. I love what you said too, about support versus a support system, because I think you're right. And it can, it can feel even more isolating if you're surrounded by people who know your story or know a part of your story, but don't know all of you and your, your true raw emotions through it. Because mm -hmm. I think that can feel, that can feel even more, that can feel even harder to go through. If you feel like you have to put on a certain type of face when you mm -hmm. don't even have the energy to get off the bathroom floor from crying, you need people mm -hmm. in your support, in your support, who are your support, who mm -hmm. are your people who are sitting on the bathroom floor with you while you mm -hmm. cry. That's the kind mm -hmm. of support you need. Like people who mm -hmm. you don't have to pretend you don't have to put on a brave face or say mm -hmm. something that you think people want to hear, but you can tell them, you know what, I'm having a really shitty day and this mm -hmm. really sucks. And I, mm -hmm. I hate the world and I hate everything mm -hmm. right now. And you can just be that for as long mm -hmm. as you need to be that. And they will just be with you. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. We were, um, I was talking with a, uh, one of our families and she had just said, you know, what like sucks is when people who like really don't know what you're going through are like, I'm so sorry. Like I get it. I know what you're going through. It's like, sometimes the best way to be a support person is just to do exactly what you said. Just like sit there with someone as they cry or like just be in like the thick of it with them and their grief but not you don't have to give them those like you know those cute little sayings and quotes like just like sometimes people don't want to hear that you know actually the majority of the time I know a lot of families that don't want to hear that like you know, everything happens for a reason. And yeah. like all of those like corny things, like, no, no, not the time, not the place. Do what Erica said and sit on the bathroom floor while they're crying and just listen to them, you know, cause that's what you need. There is so, so much of being a support person is like our gut instinct. And like, I still get this in the work that I'm doing. It's like, you want to take someone's pain away so badly. Those people you love. And I know like, you know, my, my parents and the grandparents and like those people super, super close to you, like they don't want to see you crying and so upset. They want to do anything to take their pain away. But unfortunately you can't like you, this is just a pain that no one will ever be able to take away. You know, my daughter died and we're always going to be missing a part of our family. So no one can take that away, but they can certainly be there and they can certainly ask about, you know, how are you doing or, or ask about your, you know, your child, like, you know, what I, I love when people will ask like, well, how did you, you know, name her? Like, where did that come from? Or, you know, were you able, you know, to hold her or like just asking those detailed questions or, you know, that means so much, like it, it, to be able to talk about her and not have someone kind of just dismiss it. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason or, or she's in a better place or you can have more children or, you know, those things are, are definitely where not to go. If you're the support person, sit on the bathroom floor with, with your friend or with your daughter or with your wife and, and cry with her. I have pe people cry with me and I remember them being like, I'm sorry, I don't want to make you more sad. I'm like, no, I'm already sad. Like you crying right now means the world to me because it means that my daughter is like, it, it's affecting you too, because she matters and her life matters. So, um, yeah, be that person on the bathroom floor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all have crosses to bear. That doesn't mean the cross we're bearing is fair to us. So I think having mm. someone being willing to carry the cross with you is what makes a world mm -hmm. of difference, mm -hmm. a world of difference. Absolutely. Is there, in, so you mentioned so many good things in terms of what not to say, mm. um, and even what to say to people, is there anything that you've seen from all of the work that you've done that have been especially impactful gifts or things that mm. people have done for families who are going through something? Because I feel like I've I often, you see people who are like, okay, I want to do something to help. But if it's something so horrible and so tragic, people are like, well, I'm not sending an edible arrangement. Like, right, right, like there's some right. things where you're like, this is awkward or stupid or insensitive or just totally not going to be helpful. Right. What have you seen that have been like actually meaningful, well-received gifts or things that. that you would recommend if someone wants to do something for a family that's going through something? I love that. Um, yeah. So some like 
legit things that people did for us that I still remember. And it, you know, an edible, edible arrangement is not a horrible thing, but like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, everyone loves a good edible, edible arrangement, but um, <laughs> uh, homemade meals. And that sounds so silly, but I remember my best friend, um, her parents sent Adam and I like a lasagna or something. And I remember thinking like, it just was this comfort of like, wow, like, this is something that you do when someone is grieving and it's like, it's like you give the lasagna or the, you know, whatever. And I'm like, they are validating that like my grief, like they are validating all of this for me. Like, it sounds so silly saying it out loud, but like people sending food is a way of like them reaching out and saying like, I know I literally can do nothing for you, but like here, like this is, I I'm going to take the time. I'm going to make you something because you have just suffered and you're going through something so tragic. And I want to give you some sort of comfort and love. And so it sounds silly, but it is something as simple as that, um, is so helpful. We've had a lot of families, um, who their, their family members would make a donation to an organization. Um, we've had a lot of donations towards our, to our organization after someone loses a baby. Um, and I know that has meant so much to families because, you know, they're, it's a very similar thing to what we're doing. Like if, if our daughter, if our, our children are no longer with us, can we help other families who are going through a similar thing? Um, so that's always a, a great idea to donate to, to an organization in honor of the baby um, that was lost. Um, also assisting with funeral and cremation expenses. Um, you know, after 20 weeks, like there, the family will need to do something um, and you are not prepared. It's not like, um, you know, which is still so hard, but a grandparent passing away um, or, or an older person, you're more prepared for that. And, and a lot of people, you know, plan and have money set aside. And, um, you know, we try to cover, and in the majority of cases, we're able to cover all of the expenses for the family. Um, but it's not every time, depending on what they, you know, want to do and what they, they feel is right to honor their baby. So, um, you know, seeing, checking with them, you know, is there any way I could donate towards memorial expenses um, or the cremation or the urn? Because um, I would love to do that. You know, I know that can mean a lot to families too. Um, but if all else fails, make the lasagna. <laughs> Send the lasagna. So it doesn't hurt. <laughs> well, that's also a perfect segue. I know you mentioned it earlier, but obviously you run the Adeline Rose Foundation in Addie's honor. So Tell us yeah. about what all the foundation does for hurting and grieving families beyond covering funeral expenses um, yeah. and really how listeners can get involved in that incredible, important work you're doing if they want to make a donation or just support the foundation yeah. in any way. Yeah. Um, so we, it is such an honor to be, you know, Adeline's mom and being able to launch this foundation. Um, Adam and I have met so many people We're we're in our, um, going into our third year and have already, um, donated over $20,000 to families for funeral and cremation expenses and connected with over a hundred families and sent over a hundred care packages. Um, so 
it truly is a need. I mean, there, like we had talked about in the beginning of this, you don't realize how many people have losses. Um, there's a lot of, of people who are suffering. So a lot of our work is really just helping people, um, connect and have, um, a space to talk to people and to connect with other lost families, whether that's us or, um, you know, I've connected families who they've, um, they've needed, they've wanted something maybe a little bit more specific. Um, a couple of our families have had twins and have lost one of their twins and have a surviving twin. Um, and so that's a, you know, a very unique situation where you want to talk to someone who understands. Um, so we've connected those families. Um, so a lot of our work is spent, we have a support group and, and online community. So a lot of our, our time is spent just trying to like normalize conversations around loss and like not making people feel like they're like, they need to suffer in silence. Like we're always here if you need to reach out and like send a Facebook message. We have our number there, like call, email, you know, the door is always open for any communication. Um, we receive emails, multiple emails every day from people that just, you know, are struggling and just want to, you know, just vent, honestly, just like talk. Um, so support is, is our big thing. We send care packages, um, to all of our families, uh, that are in Pennsylvania that we connect with. Um, right now we're, we're only able to provide financial support to families, you know, in Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, I wish we could, could be everywhere. Um, but right now we're in PA, but we do provide that emotional support, you know, anyone, anywhere, um, is, is able to message us. That's the beauty of social media and, and, you know, email and phones. Um, but people can go on our website and, um, they're, they're more than welcome to, if they have a friend, um, or family member who has had a loss, they can order a care package for them, um, right on our website. So that's another, I didn't want to say that as far as if you're looking for something to give someone, but, um, but really we do, we, we have a really great care package that we've taken a lot of time to put together and, and done a, done some research on, um, just within the lost community of what was supportive, you know, what books did you really like, um, after your loss, what, what was helpful? Um, so we have a really great book and grief journal in there. Um, a miscarriage journal, a bear, um, a really comfy blanket, delicious smelling candle, like all of those comfort things. Um, and then we write a handwritten letter to, to all of our families, um, and send those out. So people can order those on our website. Um, but then any family that we connect with, um, you know, in Pennsylvania, we, we donate that to them. Um, so we do that. And then, you know, our, our, most of our funds do go to the funeral and cremation expenses, as we had kind of talked about in the beginning, um, just because we don't think any family should ever have to pay for that. Um, so we're connected with, um, about five local hospitals, um, CHOP and um, some, some other local hospitals where they'll reach out if they have a family and um, we're able to, to help and um, kind of guide them through the, the really difficult process of planning a funeral for, for a child or, or um, deciding you know, how to honor their baby and, and providing them with the comfort of knowing whatever they want to do is, is okay um, and there's no right or wrong way to do it. <laughs> Cause it's, yeah. 
yeah, there's no right or wrong way, but that's a lot of our work is really just supporting families and whatever they need and, and being there. And it's important work that you're doing. That's for dang sure. Mm, so I want to get things wrapped up by asking you what we ask all guests on Thrive. So I'm sure you know this well by now. Um, what does Thrive mean to you now? And how do you strive to thrive in, in your everyday life now? So thriving to me now means that not every day, I've had to do a lot of work on this, but not every day needs to be perfect. Not every day needs to be exactly what you're planned. We have three um, living toddlers at home. We're, we're foster parents and about to um, adopt our, our son. And so um, we're, we're really excited about that, but that has been another, along with loss has been another area where it's like, okay, like life is not always going to be exactly as you plan and exactly as you expect. And you can have one day where everything is going great. And then you get a call or something happens and you have to learn to pivot. So, so thriving to me is being kind of okay with that, but like being content in your life that like you can embrace those moments of pivoting and actually make them into um, something that you're happy with and that not every um, every moment is going to be good. Uh, obviously, we, we all, like you said, have these difficult things we go through, but, but being overall just really happy with your life and happy with how you have things um, going that it doesn't really matter what, what happens that you're going to be okay, that, that you can still be happy and thrive no matter, no matter what you deserve to, that you deserve to, no matter what loss you've experienced, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you're going through, you deserve to be happy. And, um, yeah. I don't think I answered your question great, but um, <laughs> I think thriving to me has been learning to, that I deserve to, that I deserve to be happy, that it's okay um, to be happy no matter what experiences you you have a part of your story. Yeah, no, I love that. So tell everyone where they can find you online to connect with you, to reach out to the foundation, all that jazz. Yeah, so um, our nonprofits, the Adeline Rose Foundation, um, but just on Instagram is Adeline Rose Foundation, Facebook Adeline Rose Foundation, email www.adelinerosefoundation.com. Um, and then personally, um, I'm Chloe Safiri. Um, and if you ever need to email us too, um, that's a really great way of getting in contact with us. But we also check our you know messages on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but if anyone ever needs to, you know, just talk or reach out, connect, um, wants to be a part of our empty stroller 5k next year, um, please feel free to reach out. Our inbox is always open and I'm behind it. So I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. <laughs> Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of thrive, drop five stars on your way out. If you like what you just listened to, and come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.